for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday through Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study it together, and apply it to our lives. Today we pick up in John chapter 16, verse 25. And again, we remind ourselves that Jesus is in the midst of his farewell discourse to his disciples. They've left the the uh, the Last Supper and are walking, I believe, toward uh, through Jerusalem toward the uh, Mount of Olives. And um, Jesus says in verse 25, we pick up, he's been talking to them about uh, how he's leaving, going to the Father, and the Holy Spirit will come and uh, and uh, indwell within them and guide them and lead them and make things clear to them. And Jesus says in verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will take tell you plainly of the Father. Well, we think about that as Jesus starts off here and how he has used figurative language quite a bit with his disciples. I mean, he's he's referred to figures of speech time and time again, and, and we see that time and time again, they don't understand what he's trying to tell them. Throughout the farewell speeches, Jesus has used figure languages, for example, in regards to the foot washing. And when speaking of the way, to the Father, that was a figurative type of language. In the metaphor of the vine and the branches, and finally in his cryptic comments about, about in a little while I'll be leaving, as we discussed yesterday. Uh, Jesus continued that a time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in these types of language, but instead will speak plainly. Uh, the time for plain speech was, was now close at hand, Jesus is saying. In verse 26, he says, In that day you will ask in my name, and again, in the name of Jesus refers to in the will of Jesus or for Jesus. Uh, uh, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from the Father. Jesus says, referring to this time when he will speak plainly, he says, ask in my name. Ask in my name again is, 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 is asking in line, of, in line with Jesus' purposes uh, to bring essentially glory to God. And Jesus spoke about a day that when the time would come, the disciples would, would make their requests to the Father, and then he would give them what they needed. This day is coming where you won't have to ask me, Jesus says. You won't have to ask me to ask the Father. Instead, you will ask the Father. Well, what day is that? When is that possible? As of right now, the disciples aren't able to go directly to the Father. Well, why? Well, it's because of the sin situation. It's the sin situation that keeps them from having that direct access to the Father. But Jesus is saying here, a day is coming when you will have that direct access to the Father, because what I will have accomplished will have paved the way for you. Following Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and the coming of the Spirit, the, the, the disciples would no longer have access to Jesus' physical presence, uh, but this would prove to, to not be a loss for them, because they would have direct access to the Father, because Jesus has dealt with sin. They would not need Jesus to ask the Father on their behalf. And in order to encourage them to ask the Father for themselves, Jesus now speaks of the Father's love for them. 
He says, the Father loves you because you've loved me and believe that I uh, am from him. The disciples knew something of Jesus' love for them and had grown in their love for him and in their belief in him. And now Jesus reaffirms because of that growth of belief, the Father loves you because you have come to know God because you know me. That's the refrain that Jesus spells out throughout this gospel. Jesus told them that because they loved him and believed in him, the Father loved them. And this repeats really an earlier teaching of Jesus in chapter 14, for example, about the Father's love for them provided uh, and how his love for them provided the basis uh, upon which they could come to the Father and make the request in Jesus' name. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, I, I have come forth from the Father, and I have come into the world, and I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. In this verse, we have three themes that are present throughout John's gospel that, that find their culmination here in verse 28. Uh, the fact that Jesus came from the Father is a theme that's early on introduced in chapter 1. In fact, uh, the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. The, Jesus came from the Father. So he says, I came forth from the Father, and I have come into this world. Uh, again, this theme of for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, Jesus not only came from the Father, but came into the world. And the third theme there is that I am going, leaving the world, and going again to the Father. These three themes are repeated throughout John's Gospel. Jesus came from the Father, he came into the world, and he's going back to the Father. And now they find their culmination here in verse uh, uh, 28. Uh, that is, after Jesus, after the Word made flesh, Jesus had entered the world, and through the betrayal, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, he would leave this world and go back to the Father. Now the disciples hearing Jesus speak in this way, the disciples say, now you are clearly speaking without figures of speech. They believed that his promise to speak plainly to them in that day had, had really all, already been fulfilled. They felt emboldened at this point to say, well, now we understand what you're saying. Uh, the, the, the disciples at least believe that they are beginning to understand. In fact, from their perspective, the disciples are now convinced that there's no need, no more need to interrogate Jesus, to question him about where he's going or what he means by this. Um, it's plain to them that he knew all things. And so they said, this makes us believe that you're from God. Uh, in, in, in confessing this, they were picking up on what Jesus had already told them in chapter 16, for example, that, that he came from the Father. So they affirm the fact that they uh, that the Jesus has come from God. And Jesus answered, and, and the way this is translated in verse 31 is a little uh, confusing. Um, the, the NIV, for example, uh, translates this as a statement, you believe at last. In the, in the NASB, for example, or the, uh, the NRSV, it says, uh, do you now believe? That's a question. So, so there is a little bit of question. It could be translated either way, what, either as a statement made, uh, now you believe, 
or as a question, do you now believe? We don't know, but I tend to think of the latter. I think the question, do you now believe, is probably a better translation because of what follows in verse 32. Uh, What follows in verse 32 indicates the disciples' belief was shallow at best and needed to be questioned. Uh, Jesus warns them in verse 32, he says, But a time is coming and has come that you will be scattered each to his own home. So whatever the nature of their belief, uh, it was not enough and will not be enough to sustain them in the time of crisis. And that time of crisis was about to overtake them. As we talked about this past weekend, storms come. Storms always come. Storms always come unexpectedly. Jesus says, do do you now believe? Let me tell you this. A time's coming where you will be scattered. Each to his home. You think you have belief now, but that belief is not rooted in something sustainable. Because you will be scattered. It will not sustain you when the storm comes. In fact, it will overtake you. When Jesus is betrayed and handed over to the Roman governor, they would be scattered and and they'll flee to their homes. Look at Matthew chapter 26 or Mark chapter 14 to see that. Jesus adds, "You you will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone because my Father is with me. Though Jesus will be deserted by his disciples, the Father would stand by him through all his trials. Now, some have asked if there is a contradiction here in John's gospel, because in 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 um, later on in the gospel, we see while um, most leave Jesus, not all do. In fact, we see John puts himself at the foot of the cross. John and Peter in the courtyard of Pilate. Um, I, I don't think it's a contradiction necessarily um, uh, to, to say that. Uh, perhaps we should recognize that their first inclination was to flee. Uh, and so they did, but after they, fly, they fled, they pulled themselves together um, and they followed Jesus to the high priest's house. Another thing that puzzles readers about this is is that Jesus says that his disciples would leave him alone and the Father would be here. But how does how does that square up with Jesus' cry in declaration from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As recorded in the other Gospels. Again, I don't see a contradiction here. We recognize this, that the God was with Jesus through all of his sufferings. The betrayal, the Jewish and the Roman trials, his crucifixion, it was only as he bore the sins of the world and, and, and darkness covered the world uh, that he was abandoned by the Father. I don't see a contradiction here. Verse 33, uh, Jesus continues. He says, I have spoken these things to you so that you may believe in me, so, so that in me you may have peace. I'm sorry. Let me read that again. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have, you have, you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus' words to his disciples, informing them of their of the fact that they're going to flee from him, would have troubled them deeply, no doubt. But it would have been even more troubling for them to have been overtaken by these events um, 
and to think that Jesus himself was taken by surprise. And so Jesus said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. When afterwards the disciples will feel ashamed and remorseful because they deserted Jesus in his time of need, uh, they would be able to recall that Jesus knew about these things beforehand and still committed to them and still loved them. And in this knowledge, they would have peace because of their relationship with him. Jesus was not taken off guard by this. And Jesus knew that after his return to the Father, the disciples uh, would be persecuted. He warned them, he warned them and has warned them that the Jewish leaders would, would hate them and put them out of the synagogue. And they would even think that they were doing a service to God by persecuting the, the Christians. They had already felt some of the world's hatred, but now Jesus warns of, of further persecution. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. It's another reminder that their lives would not be easy. In this world, for example, in their relationships with a hostile world, in particular unbelieving Jews, they would have trouble. But to balance this, Jesus promises that in their relationship with him, even in the midst of their troubles, they would know peace. Even though they would have trouble in this world, Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Now this is ironic. It appears that the world overcame Jesus. After all, the Jewish leaders did succeed in having him crucified by the Romans. Yet Jesus insists that he had overcome the world. Well, in what sense? The world, the Jewish leaders, Satan himself worked so hard in trying to turn Jesus aside from doing what he came to do. That is to reveal the truth about God and the human condition and to give his life so that the world might be saved. The world and Satan himself tried and tried and tried and tried to turn Jesus off track to, to hijack this plan of redemption, but they were unable to do so. While they thought they, they killed Jesus to, uh, to stop this, in fact, it was the killing of Jesus that brought the peace that you and I now experience today. In 1 John, believers are said to have overcome the world. And this they do by resisting all the pressures to turn aside from the message of Jesus, or the message about Jesus, rather. The, the message about Jesus and what he had done that they had been told from the beginning in John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. They were enabled to do this, to resist turning aside, because of the, because the word of God remained in them, if you read First John. And because of the one who was in them, that's the spirit of truth. And that spirit of truth is stronger than the one who is in the world. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist in 1 John 4, verse 4. Jesus' words, but take heart, I have overcome the world, would strengthen disciples because they face the full onslaught from the world after he returned to the Father. Take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Well, in this passage today, it's very easy to tie this passage to, to our sermon from this past weekend. The storms come in life. Troubles come in life. There's no easy button in life. And sometimes to our disadvantage, we think that if I just surrender to Jesus, my life will be easier. But that is not the case. Jesus never promised that. So often uh, I I hear and talk with people who are going through hardship and they say, I don't understand God's abandoned me. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I've given my life to Jesus. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And yet Jesus is still allowing this stuff to happen. Uh, why isn't he stopping this? Yada, 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 all that type of stuff. And, and I can almost hear Jesus saying, hey, I never promised that. I never promised a life of ease. In fact, I promised my disciples in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage. I've overcome the world. As we go through the trials, the storms, the, the troubles in our lives, we need to lean in and lean on Jesus. It's all about trust. We practice those spiritual muscles now so that as we go through the big storms in life, we are stronger. We have the, the muscle memory required to be able to withstand those troubles. And so this week, my encouragement to you today in this week is to stand bold. Take heart. Have courage. While today, even today, you might face substantial troubles. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And because Jesus is no longer with us, the great comforter has been promised to be living within us for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus and been joined in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit lives within us and guides us. And so we can take heart because the Holy Spirit is in us and with us today. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart have courage. Jesus has overcome the world. May that be an encouragement to you today and a challenge for us all to lean into Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to the Leesburg Daily. Join us tomorrow as we start chapter 17. God bless. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.